usual place of audience, a mat was spread for me to sit down upon, and tea left me to go and bring the king. Toha was unwilling I should sit down, partially insisting on my going with him, but as I knew nothing of this chief, I refused to comply. Presently T returned and wanted to conduct me to the king, taking hold of my hand for that purpose. This Toha opposed, so that, between the one party and the other, I was like to have been torn in pieces, and was obliged to desire T to desist, and to leave me to the admiral and his party, who conducted me down to the fleet. As soon as we came before the admiral's vessel, we found two lines of armed men drawn up before her, to keep off the crowd, as I supposed, and to clear the way for me to go in. But as I was determined not to go, I made the water, which was between me and her, an excuse. This did not answer, for a man immediately squatted himself down at my feet, offering to carry me, and then I declared I would not go. That very moment Toha quitted me, without my seeing which way he went, nor would any one inform me. Turning myself round I saw T, who I believe had never lost sight of me. Inquiring of him for the king, he told me he was gone into the country Mataau, and advised me to go to my boat, which we accordingly did, as soon as we could get collected together, for Mr. Edgecombe was the only person that could keep with me, the others being jostled about in the crowd, in the same manner we had been. When we got into our boat, we took our time to view this grand fleet. The vessels of war consisted of an hundred and sixty large double canoes, very well equipped, manned and armed. But I am not sure that they had their full complement of men or rowers. I rather think not. The chiefs and all those on the fighting stages were dressed in their war habits, that is, in a vast quantity of cloth, turbans, breastplates and helmets. Some of the latter were of such a length as greatly to encumber the wearer. Indeed, their whole dress seemed to be ill-calculated for the day of battle, and to be designed more for show than use. Be this as it may, it certainly added grandeur to the prospect, as they were so complacent as to show themselves to the best advantage. The vessels were decorated with flags, streamers, etc., so that the whole made a grand and noble appearance, such as we had never seen before in this sea, and what no one would have expected. Their instruments of war were clubs, spears, and stones. The vessels were ranged close alongside of each other, with their heads ashore, and their stern to the sea, the admiral's vessel being nearly in the centre. Besides the vessels of war, there were an hundred and seventy sail of smaller double canoes, all with a little house upon them, and rigged with mast and sail, which the war canoes had not. These, we judged, were designed for transport, victuallers, etc., for in the war canoes was no sort of provisions whatever. In these three hundred and thirty vessels, I guess there were no less than seven thousand seven hundred and sixty men, 
a number which appears incredible, especially as we were told they all belonged to the districts of Atahoru and Ahopatia. In this computation I allow to each war canoe forty men, troops and rowers, and to each of the small canoes eight. Most of the gentlemen who were with me thought the number of men belonging to the war canoes exceeded this. It is certain that the most of them were fitted to row with more paddles than I have allowed them men, but at this time I think they were not complete. Tupia informed us, when I was first here, that the whole island raised only between six and seven thousand men, but we now saw two districts only raise that number, so that he must have taken his account from some old establishment or else he only meant tatatours, that is, warriors, or men trained from their infancy to arms, and did not include the rowers, and those necessary to navigate the other vessels. I should think he only spoke of this number as the standing troops or militia of the island, and not their whole force. This point I shall leave to be discussed in another place, and return to the subject. After we had well viewed this fleet, I wanted much to have seen the Admiral, to have gone with him on board the war canoes. We inquired for him as we rode past the fleet to no purpose. We put ashore and inquired, but the noise and crowd was so great that no one attended to what we said. At last T came and whispered us in the ear that Otu was gone to Matavai, advising us to return thither and not to land where we were. We accordingly proceeded for the ship, and this intelligence and advice received from T gave rise to new conjectures. In short, we concluded this Tauha was some powerful disaffected chief who was upon the point of making war against his sovereign, for we could not imagine Otu had any other reason for leaving Opari in the manner he did. We had not been long gone from Opari before the whole fleet was in motion to the westward from whence it came. When we got to Matavai, our friends there told us that this fleet was part of the armament intended to go against Aimea, whose chief had thrown off the yoke of Otahiti and assumed an independency. We were likewise informed that Otu neither was nor had been at Matavai so that we were still at a loss to know why he fled from Opari. This occasioned another trip thither in the afternoon, where we found him, and now understood that the reason of his not seeing me in the morning was, that some of his people having stolen a quantity of my clothes which were on shore washing, he was afraid I should demand restitution. He repeatedly asked me if I was not angry, and when I assured him that I was not, and that they might keep what they had got, he was satisfied. Toha was alarmed, partly on the same account. He thought I was displeased when I refused to go aboard his vessel, and I was jealous of seeing such a force in our neighbourhood, without being able to know anything of its design. Thus, by mistaking one another, I lost the opportunity of examining it more narrowly, into part of the naval force of this isle, 
and making myself better acquainted with its manoeuvres. Such another opportunity may never occur, as it was commanded by a brave, sensible, and intelligent chief, who would have satisfied us in all the questions we had thought proper to ask, and as the objects were before us, we could not well have misunderstood each other. It happened unluckily that Odidi was not with us in the morning, for T, who was the only man we could depend on, served only to perplex us. Matters being thus cleared up, and mutual presence having passed between Otu and me, we took leave and returned on board. End of Book Two, Chapter Eleven. Recording by David Cole, Medway, Massachusetts.